Today on The Ticket Apes, we hear from Anna, who suffered a devastating stroke when she was just 24, but now gets up on stage to tell the world about it. You know, I always get a standing ovation when I perform the act and people cry when they see the act because it's kind of sad, but it's kind of a celebration of my body. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Molly Tresiden. On the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Anna talks to me about her recovery after her stroke and how she turned it into a burlesque act that receives standing ovations. So, Anna, could you tell me a bit about that Christmas when you had your stroke? So I'd had one, my son on the 24th of November 2004 and um, I was just getting used to being a new mum. And Christmas Day, we went round to my dad's to spend a family Christmas all together. And I hadn't drunk in 10 months and I had a glass of wine that night. And I started to feel a bit, I, I felt like I was really, really drunk. But my brother-in-law, my dad said, oh, do Anna a coffee. So my brother-in-law brought me out a cup of coffee and I went to pick it up with my right hand and it smashed all over the floor and went everywhere. And um, my dad said, oh, I think you've drunk too much, you know, to my mum. Take her home and um, we'll see her tomorrow. So my mum took me, my partner and my son home and she had to undress me and put me to bed because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And they all thought, that I was drunk and it wasn't until the next day the boxing day when my sister came round to see me that I was still in bed and I wasn't moving I wasn't talking and my face had all dropped and she thought there was something wrong so she phoned my mum my mum came round and was like no we need to call an ambulance and when the ambulance men came they said instantly that I'd had a stroke and my family were all like, no, she can't have had a stroke. Only old people have strokes. Definitely, definitely can't have happened. And they took me to hospital, did an MRI, and I was moved from one hospital to another. And they eventually said, yep, she's had a stroke. And I think my whole family couldn't believe it. I don't think I understood at the time what had happened to me. But my family were like, she can't have had a stroke. She's 24. She's far too young. Only old people get strokes. Because back then, in 2004, it's not heard of any young people having strokes. And certainly the fast sign hasn't been heard, hadn't been heard of. Face, arm, speech, time. That's not been heard of then. So everybody was in complete shock that I had had a stroke. Yeah. And so then what was your recovery like from that point? I spent six months on the Harlow Stroke Ward where the the staff were absolutely fantastic. They, they became my family and I still see a handful of them now and we're friends on Facebook and I go for afternoon tea with the, with the head nurse. They became my family. They let my, my family had access to me 24-7. As long as I did my physio, my family and my son came to see me. They even let my dog come into the conservatory so I could see her and stroke her. They tried to make things as normal for me as possible. But it wasn't, I think, it was two months into it that I actually realised what had happened and that my body wasn't working. I was under the illusion that I'd be in hospital for a month and then I'd be home and I'd be back to normal. But that wasn't to happen. It was a, it's been a long, long, long road. It's 17 years post-stroke now and I'm still recovering now. 
Yeah, I mean, six months is a really long time to spend in hospital. What what was happening during that time? Oh, it was it was as as lovely as the staff were. It was horrible, and the nearest person in age to me was sixty, and I was twenty four. But the physio team were absolutely amazing. They worked their hardest on me to give me the best chance of um, gaining back my walking and my arm again. So the stroke had affected you physically. Yes, I'm. I, I, they said that I would never walk again at the time that my stroke was that severe. They didn't think that I'd walk again. And they gave me a talk on having an electric wheelchair. And I said, there's no way I'm having, a, I'm having an electric wheelchair. There's just, that's not going to happen. And I did start walking very slowly with splints and walking sticks and pushing things. I gained back my walking very, very slowly. Um, my right arm still doesn't do that much. It's kind of like, um, it's very limp and very floppy and very, as I walk, my arm swings. And I've also lost my eyesight. So in both eyes, I'm partially sighted. Mm, so it had kind of affected you all the way down the the right side of your body? Yeah, the right, um, right side affected, yeah. So the stroke happened on the left side of my brain. And so after those six months in hospital, what happened then? Well, we we lived in a flat which was three flights of stairs up and that wasn't that wasn't going to happen when I came out of hospital. I could barely, and I mean barely, walk. Um, so we got moved to a ground floor flat and we put everything in the living room while my partner was decorating it. The Everything that I would need really, really close to me and my bed was there, the telly was there, the phone a little table and my son's cot was there but coming home was when all of the all of it all started to really really hit me and kick in and that's when I started having problems with mental health and panic attacks and although I didn't realize that at the time that 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 it was my mental health coming home was really really hard really hard because you're left to your own devices there's nobody there to to help you Luckily, I, I had physio twice a week, which, again, was amazing. My physio was absolutely amazing. But it was really, really hard, really hard. Yeah, because I guess in hospital you've got, you know, you have that routine and there's sort of a feeling that you're working yeah. towards getting better. Whereas when you go home, it's kind of like, well, this is life now. Well, I, I wanted to pick my son up. I wanted to feed him. I wanted to change his nappy. I wanted to, I wanted the last six months that I'd just lost. I wanted it all back and I wanted it back now. And realising that you can't do that and somebody else has to, has to help you do it. It's really, really, really hard. Luckily, I learned to change my, my Henry's bum with my foot and my left hand and he got so used to me doing it that he'd roll at the time I was slipping the nappy under. And then it became very hard for other people to change his bum because he wouldn't, because he'd be rolling and they'd be like, stay still, stay still. <laughs> um, but it was a lot to get back. Six months is a long time to lose. I mean, especially when your son's crying and you pick him up and he still cries because he doesn't know you. And only stops when he goes to your mum or your or or Craig, my partner. That was really hard. 
really, really hard. Yeah, how much had you been able to see him in hospital? I saw him, but it was always with somebody. I never had him on my own mm. because I was so wobbly and out of balance that when he sat on my bed, we had to put the, the railings up in case I dropped him or in case he rolled over. So feeding him, somebody would have to be there to support me, giving him his bottle. Yeah. And he was your, your first child and he was only a month old when it had happened. Yes, yeah, only a month, literally a month and one day old. Yeah, so yeah. he's kind of, he's grown up not knowing you before the stroke. No, no, which which in a way is a really good thing because he's only ever known me like this. He's never known the Anna before, um, the Anna that had two hands working. He's only known me as having a stroke, and he used to say, "My mummy's been stroked." because he didn't he didn't understand it and that's what he'd say to people mm. when people asked him about at nursery when they said oh how's your mummy and your daddy and he'd say yeah my mummy's been stroked mm. which I thought was kind of a cute way of describing it <laughs> yeah and you said that when you got home that's when you started to your mental health started to suffer could you talk me through that a bit yeah, there was one time when I'd had physio and then me, me, Craig and Henry went to town afterwards. I shouldn't have done it. I should have just gone home and rested because you strokes take it out of you. You need to you need your sleep and you get tired very quickly. And I should have gone home, but I didn't. We went to town for something to eat and then I became really tired. And then I convinced myself that I was having another stroke. I wasn't I was having a massive panic attack at the time but I didn't know that and it's only recently that I've actually realized that my mental health problems and my panic attacks all stem back to the, to the stroke mm. it doesn't just affect you physically it affects you mentally as well mm. because your stroke could come out of the blue so there was a sense of well what's to stop another one yes exactly and and they still to this day they can't say they 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 think that it was childbirth but they won't put your put their pen to paper and say that was what caused it they think it was a surge of hormones going through my body that that may have caused it but it, it's still down as unknown mm. so you always have that fear in the back of your head thinking what if it happens again if it happens again will i recover as as well as I have mm, yeah so when we spoke before you talked about how there was a period of quite a long time where you suffered from quite severe anxiety could you talk through that yes I was I, I became the friend that would say yes I'd go out and then at the last minute I'd have an excuse oh Henry's crying I've, I've fallen over was was my was my go-to excuse and my friend became in the end, my friends stopped asking me out because they knew that I'd say yes and then I wouldn't go. And mental health, again, back in 2004, wasn't really spoke about. Nobody talked about it. So I didn't know that what I was doing was my mental health. I just, everyone just put it down to Anna being Anna. This is how she's, how she is now. She's had a stroke. But I was too scared to go out. I was scared that if I left my bed, because my bedroom became my safe place, if I left my bed, I may have another stroke. And it got so severe that when my son went to nursery, I couldn't walk him five minutes down the end of the road because I was physically unable to, because I was so scared of having another stroke. It, it, 
it consumed me. That was my only thought that I would have another stroke. And one day my mum said, right, we're driving Henry to nursery and you're coming with me. And I was, no, no, I'm not. And I cried the whole way there. It's literally a two minute drive, if that. And I cried and I cried and I cried. And then I said to my mum, I need to go see the doctors. I need to see somebody about this because I can't cope with it anymore. Mm. And then I went to see my doctor and she put me on antidepressants. And slowly they started working and slowly the old Anna mixed in with the new Anna became a whole new person. I, I am a whole new person to what I was before. There's not the slightest bit of the old Anna in me. I am a new a new person so in the stroke I've been born again I have I, I always say this and my parents hate it when I say that that my stroke happened for the bestest reasons possible I never would I've never said why me and I never would have wanted to live my life without having the stroke I, that sounds really really weird and crazy because you know it was absolutely devastating at the time and I cried a lot and I, I was crying all the time but now, looking back on my life, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I've had now without the stroke. So mm. I think it's happened for a, for a really good reason. And it's made me the person that I am today. Yeah. And how are you different before and after the stroke? Before, I would just blend into the background and wear black clothes and have... Yeah, I was quite blended into the background kind of person. There wasn't anything extraordinary about me I was just just Anna but after the stroke I am adventurous I'll try anything I wear bright colored clothes um, I'm smothered in tattoos I I have orange hair well orange ginger hair I'm I stand out from a crowd people know when I've entered a room and was that all of those things, were they things that you started doing once you'd started to make the recovery in your mental health? Yes. So once I, that I, the antidepressants took a long time to kick in. It's taken a long, long, long time for me to get where I am today. Mm. I went for afternoon tea with a rabbi. I fancied finding out a bit more about their religion and I just wanted to to know a bit more about it so I phoned up the local rabbi in my area and went, I went for afternoon tea and I had a lovely conversation with her I then what did you talk about what it, it was it was it was really strange she just told me a lot about their religion and I was very interested in the part about when you die that they bury you within 24 hours and we spoke about that a lot and then she started speaking about me converting to Judaism and that wasn't what I wanted. I just wanted to find out a bit more about their religion. And it was it was a really good afternoon, to be honest <laughs> with you. It, it, it was lots of fun. And I never would have done that before the stroke. What else have I done? It seems to be so much that I've that I've done. I started burlesque and I went to a class that says anybody and everybody can do it. Doesn't matter what your abilities are. And not anybody and everybody could do it in these classes. There's too many people that say that anybody can do anything. And 
I found it very, very tricky, but I loved the art form of it. And I started seeking out private tuition and I've met a lot of amazing people. And then after that, I did fire and body burning and eating fire. <laughs> and then I did a whip cracking course and I learned how to how to crack a whip and to dance with a whip. I've put on big burlesque events and shows there just seems to be so much that I've packed into the last 17 years of my life post-stroke that, that there's probably too much to say. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in an exhibition at Somerset House very soon and it's a picture of me posing nude and I never, ever would have dreamt of doing anything like that for, I mean, hundreds of people to see me naked. I mean, that would have terrified me before, but now I'm like... I love me. I love my body. I'm beautiful. People deserve to see it. I mean, it doesn't bother me anymore. I've kind of lost the lost the nervousness and the shyness. I'm definitely not a shy person anymore. Hmm. And tell me a bit more about burlesque, because out of all of the things that you've tried, that's the thing that you've kind of really taken forward and stuck with, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, most of my things only last five minutes. I try something and then I've had enough of it and then I'm, I'm on to the next challenge. Yeah, you've eaten the fire, Burle- that's done. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, it's like a little tick list. Yeah, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. But the burlesque seems to have stuck around for the past seven, eight years, I think I've been doing it for. And my act is about my stroke it's very powerful, very moving, and behind me is projected pictures of me in hospital, me before the stroke, me holding Henry when I've just had him. And it's very, it's pictures of my family and it says words and it's got got a picture of my brain where I had the stroke. And it's to a very moving song by Lady Gaga, Till It Happens To You. And for people who don't know much about burlesque, what is it that makes a burlesque act? It's the art of storytelling. It's telling a story is what burlesque is to me. And you just happen to remove your clothes whilst telling the story. That's what burlesque is to me. And is that why it appealed to you? Because it was a way that you could tell your story? Well, yeah, I found the song on YouTube by a complete accident. And then I had a dream that night that I, what my act came, it came to me in a dream. I knew that I wanted to project images behind me. I knew kind of how I wanted it to go, but I couldn't quite figure it all out. So I sought some private tuition from teachers, from big burlesque performers who helped me. And then I kind of took it what they'd shown me and what their comments were. And then I kind of just projected that all of that into myself. And the act is now, it's, it's very moving. I always get a stand innovation when I perform the act and people are often, well, people cry when they see the act because it's, it's kind of sad, but it's kind of a celebration of my body and I'm, and I'm bearing my soul. My, I'm bearing everything in this act. I show my arm that doesn't work and I move it in ways that people don't realise how a stroke affects people. So it's difficult to to explain it because I am literally bearing my soul. I strip down to nipple tassel, nipple pasties, but they are in 
they're done up like boobs so it's meant to look like my nipples are showing and I wear a nude costume so when the gown comes off everything is all skin toned so I am bearing everything this act is my whole life it's got everything in it the before Anna the now Anna the in-between Anna it, it's it's got everything in it yeah and I, I've seen a, a video of what the act looks like and it's I think it's a really powerful show of it shows exactly what you can and you can't do. It shows, you know, what this what the stroke has meant for your body, but it also shows what you're still able to do. Yes, yes, it does. And it and it's I wanted people to see that strokes don't just happen to old people. Young people have them as well. And this is what I can do. And this is what I can't do. And look at me now. Look what I'm achieving. I'm up here on this stage, bearing my soul for everybody to see my story, my journey, because my story is beautiful. It is, it, it's beautiful, but it's been very sad along the way. Mm. And I wanted people to see that. I wanted people to, to feel the emotions of, seeing it and often afterwards people will come up to me and say my mum had a stroke my nan passed away from one this is how it affected me and it's very very emotional to perform I can get up there and I can cry and people think that it's all part of the act I can scream and people don't know that I'm actually screaming inside because I'm frustrated mm. and it's very hard to hear other people's stories but it's very worthy as well yeah, and it's possibly an audience who wouldn't normally sort of be exposed to that sort of thing. No, because I'm the last thing that people expect to be seeing in, I mean, I'm performing at Proud Cabaret, Cabaret All-Stars there, and these are these are people that are at the top of their game. They are absolutely amazing performers, and people don't expect to see this when they go out. They're not expecting it. I think last week when I performed, there was... Um, a girl there whose mum had literally died the week before because of a stroke. And she was like, I was not expecting to see that, but that performance was absolutely beautiful. Mm. And do you know of do you know of anybody else who uses burlesque to tell a story like yours? No. No, there's nobody else doing what I do, which in a good in in my way it's really good because nobody else can rip my act off, nobody else <laughs> can copy me, um, because that's what people do, um, but nobody else can copy my act, nobody else can do what I do. Mm. I don't know of any other stroke survivors that are doing burlesque. Mm. And what was it like, like going back to you know the first time you developed the act and you knew what you were going to do? What was it like the first time you got out? on stage ready to perform that that was at one of my own charity shows and I was so 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 scared because I am bearing everything my my whole life I'm putting it up there for people to see people to judge me people to see what it's like living after a stroke and I was so 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 scared and I was saying I can't do this this is the only time I'm doing it then I'm not doing it again that's it, I'm not doing it, um, I'm, no way, no way. And my friends coaxed me into it, got me on stage, and it was absolutely amazing. The reaction that I got, it, it was a stand innovation, and everybody's clapping, everybody's crying. My parents were crying, even though they'd, they'd seen me rehearse it and practice it. My son was there, and he and he absolutely loved it. Um, 
it, it was very, very emotional, very emotional the first time I did it. And then because my friend recorded it, we'd, we'd done a little YouTube video and um, other people started to see the act. And I got asked to perform at Hedge and Bridge Burlesque Festival, the Hippodrome Theatre in London. And then I got asked to do it at Oslo, um, which I did. And slowly my act, people started seeing it and started seeing what I'd always known about the act, that it, that it is absolutely beautiful. And then I managed somehow to get into Proud Cabaret, which is still, I still don't quite believe that I'm there. Because <laughs> Proud Cabaret, it's one of the biggest cabaret clubs yeah. in the country, is that right? It's it's the second biggest. There's a Moulin Rouge and there's Proud. Oh, so in Europe. will be made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's massive. And it's, I mean, you've got aerial people that spin from the ceiling that do fire and sword swallowing. And it's just an amazing show to go and see. And then you've got me who close, I close the second half of the show. And they, they do say, this is a serious act. This is um, not what you're going to be expecting to see. And the audience is dead silent throughout the whole act, whereas normally audiences are, yay, woo, woo, woo. And mine, everybody's dead silent. Nobody says a word until I open up my gown and people see what I have on underneath. Then people start clapping. Then people, you can hear people gasping in the audience saying, oh, my God, this girl was 24 and she just had a baby and then she had a stroke. People don't quite believe what they're seeing it's amazing to perform it, it, mm. and it's an amazing honour to be at Proud. Yeah. And you're performing that act there for sort of the rest of the summer. And what yes. does the future hold after that? I'm hoping that Proud are going to want to keep me on. I, I do the act for my local stroke support group. So I'm there to represent them and to get their name out there because people don't know about Harlow Stroke Support Group. It's a little little charity that helped me immensely um, when I first came out of hospital. So I thought, well, I want to do it. And if by any chance I get in the press or any recognition, I want these people to get to get the recognition as well. So I'm up there doing it for every single stroke survivor that's that's ever that's ever lived and or passed away from a stroke. Mm. And what would your advice be to other stroke survivors people who you know are in a similar situation to to the one that you were in never give up never give up on on anything um if if i can learn to walk again after being told that i'd never walk again that's the biggest incentive to anybody out there that's paralyzed that can't move their body or can't speak just keep trying every single day will get easier and it will get better and time is a great healer I know people hate hate to hear to hear that but it is with time that you do get better yeah and 17 years on from the stroke you might find yourself up on a stage performing <laughs> yes. burlesque yeah <laughs> yes yes 17 years later and but I'm still recovering now there's still little movements and I'm like I couldn't do that yesterday my arm's moving a, a tiny bit more or or I, I couldn't move my finger that much yesterday wow you know every day is is a recovery day mm, yeah Anna that's fantastic thanks so much for sharing all of that with us oh not a problem it's been fun <laughs> 
Strokes cause around 36,000 deaths a year in the UK alone and are the single biggest cause of severe disability. The BHF currently funds £22 million of vital research to find new treatments and to improve the lives of people affected by stroke. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, you can call the BHF Heart Helpline and speak to a nurse between 9 and 5 on Mondays to Fridays on 0300-330-3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. Thank you for listening and join us next time on The Ticker Tapes. <laughs>